0: or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way. The Faithway. We just want to welcome up Al to the podium so that he can share. And let's give him an applause and welcome.
1: God bless you. Good morning, Faithway family. Uh, I'm just excited to be here. Uh, as Sister Catherine mentioned, you know, being living in Laredo. Faithway Laredo, and now being part of Hebronville family, uh, it's a different world, amen, and, uh, I'm just excited to be here, my wife and I, and our family is excited to be here to, to worship with you, uh, first off, I want to start off my testimony, I won't be long, I promise, uh, first off, today's a very special day, first off, because, as you saw my son, Zach, uh, this was his very first time that, that, uh, my wife and I have had, had an opportunity to worship with him, uh, in, in this manner, you know, in worship, in congregational worship. Uh, you know, short testimony with that, Zach's actually been singing since it was a year and a half. Believe that. You know, I remember my wife and I, we were in, in the kitchen, and he was in his little walker, and we hear, like, singing, right? Like, what is that? Where is that coming from? And then we get closer, and he's singing, right? Uh, and I remember from that moment, uh, he was really little, and I, I took him outside, I remember it was night, the stars were in the, up in the sky, the moon was out, and I took my son, right, and I lifted him up, and I dedicated him unto to the Lord, right, uh, very purposeful in the name that he was given, Zechariah, after the prophet Zechariah, because I believe, and I speak life unto my son in the name of Jesus, that it, because of him, he will go and travel in many different places and many people will come to the feet of Jesus, not just because of what he sings, but also because of what he preaches. I don't know that, but he's a little preacher as well. So, uh, again, just very proud of my son and very humbled uh, that God would use him in that capacity. Um, I wanted to come and share uh, another part of my testimony, and I hope uh, maybe someone online or someone here within the congregation that uh maybe somebody needs to hear this um you know the last six months have been very rough for me uh, in late september uh my twin sister passed away uh to covid right I didn't see it coming and then all of a sudden you know she was here and then not here but i have faith knowing that i'm going to see her again um, I miss her dearly. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about my twin sister. We were very close, obviously growing up as twins and and so forth. Uh, and then, you know, going on with my testimony, back in De- December, right after Christmas, um, I wound up getting sick with COVID, and I was sick for 14 days. Uh, I mean, just really, really sick. And you know, we're I'm monitoring my oxygen levels every day and. You know, I'm I'm below 90%, and, you know, I'm in the 80s, and my wife tells me, if it gets any lower, I'm going to take you to the emergency room. And I told her, no, I'm believing in Jesus that I am healed. And she says, well, if you get down to 80, I'm taking you to the emergency room. I don't care what you—I will call the ambulance, and you are going, right? And I didn't tell her that I had gotten down to, like, 77 And I was having like a really, really hard time breathing, but I kept confessing in faith, Lord Jesus, I am healed. I do not accept this in my life. I do not accept COVID or pneumonia or any infection in my lungs. I will get up out of this bed. And it reminded me of a time that uh, I had actually, this was back in 2010, I had gotten a really bad lung infection, infection in my lungs. I'll be flat out honest with you. I didn't know if I was going to make it, but I remember crying out and praying to the Lord and saying, Lord you know, I, I had my little girl, I had my little boy, there was still very, very little. I said, God, if, if you still have work for me to do, and, and things that you want me to do in your ministry, whether it's music, whether it's preaching, whether it's teaching, whether it's writing books, whatever, God, you have for me in my life, God, I'm going to walk out of this hospital. And by the grace of God, I did. And, and here I am today. Well, I, I, I was reminded of, of, of how sick I was. I said, Lord, I remember your promises. Back then in 2010, you healed me. And, and I got up out of that hospital bed and I walked out. I said, I'm believing my faith that I'm going to get up and I'm going to get out of this bed. I was 14 days, right? And my wife's looking at I me mean, and, and, you know, and she's telling me, you're going to die, right? And I was like, no, I, I, I do not accept that over my life. As sick as I was, could literally not get out of bed. Marcos, thank you so much for always checking up on me and seeing how I was doing, and you know, and, and uh, it's always good to have a brother in Christ who, who just looks out for you. So thank you so much, my friend. Uh, and and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. The last two weeks have been very rough for me as well. I lost my twin sister in at the end of September, and then my brother passed away of COVID two weeks ago. And, uh, you know, still thinking how I'm going to react. The funeral is this coming Saturday, in San Antonio, uh, and it's been—I'm uh, not going to lie to you—you know—you can be a Christian a very long time, be in the Lord, and be very, really strong in your faith. It doesn't stop the hurt, right? It doesn't stop the pain. You know how my uh, my brother was uh, very influential in my life. He he was six years older than me. He was a pastor uh, of his church in San Antonio, a striving congregation. And and I ask you to uh, lift up New Beginnings Church because. Obviously, they're without a pastor at this time. Uh, but I have faith also that I'm going to see my brother again, right? Um, you know, I, I just wanted to show you because there's going to be times, you know, in other words, in the Bible, no, nowhere in the Bible does it, say, does it say that you as a believer, that you're not going to go through stuff. Amen? I mean, you will go through stuff. I mean, um, I, I, I was thinking about that just talking yesterday to my wife, I like, I can't believe it. It, it was... Uh, I hadn't seen my brother uh, since my sister's funeral. Then we got together as a family on on Christmas evening. And never in my wildest dreams did I ever think, you know, meeting with my family and my brother, that that was going to be the last time that I would see him and so forth. But um, if there's one thing I can say, that God never fails. You know, just like that song, uh, Same God, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He does not change. You know, um, and never once through all this um, did I ever get angry at God. I know that's. it's sometimes it's, it's like, why, God, why did my twin sister have to go? Why did my brother have to go? And uh, it's been tough. I mean, in, in the last 10 years, I've, I've lost three brothers and one sister uh, out of a family of seven. And, and the only ones left is myself and, and my two older sisters. So you kind of look at life at a whole different perspective and say, okay, God, life is precious. Life is short. You know, uh, again, if somebody, I I feel somebody needs to hear this. If there's a relationship that you need to fix, if there is a relationship that that, that, uh, you need to reconcile, please do it. You know, I encourage you in Christ. uh, Even when you feel like, yeah, but I'm not the one who wronged them. You know, they said this to me and and, and they did this, and I mean, how could I forget, or how can I forgive? It's like, I love how pastor says, in the now, we forgive in the now, right? And, and we let it go, and so forth. But again, I just wanted to give my testimony. Um, little by little, you know, I have God's reassurance. Uh, well, first and foremost, I have God's reassurance that I'm going to be okay. Amen? I mean, some days are good. Some days I'm like, ah, like, ah, right? It's like, how can this happen? How could this have happened, and so forth? Uh, but then I, I'm reassured, knowing that G- I, it's like I hear the Holy Spirit inside of me telling me, Al, I'm with you, right? Uh, You're not alone. I'm, I'm walking with you every step of the way. But uh, again, please uh, keep lifting me up in prayer. Um, my brother left. He has a, his wife and um, his four kids and, and his grandchildren and so forth. But um, God is in control. Amen. So, uh, you know, and, and, and lastly, I'm sorry, I'll leave you with this. I'm almost catching up to Monica's length, right? <laughs> um, when I was going through that, when my sister passed away, and then when, when I had gotten sick, I, it's like I got to the point where in ministry, my wife knows, right? I shared it with, with Monica's like, bro, I don't want to do this anymore, right? It's like, I'm done. It's like, what do you mean you're done? You know, you, you, you're, you play a musical instrument, and I was done. I was like... If at that point in time, I was like, if I never play ever again, I'm, I'm done, right? I, I don't want to play anymore. I, I have no desire to, you know, I'll sell all my musical equipment and all my guitars and my instruments and stuff. But I'm reminded of what I said to God in 2010, right? I said, Lord, if you get me out of this bed, right, if you still have work for me to do, I'm going to do it. And here I am, Amen. Uh, I'm excited to be part of this family, uh, and I think uh, what I envision and what I see with Pastor Bach, there's going to be tremendous growth in this church, right? I really, really believe that, that, uh, you know, I'm from San Antonio, and there's a reason why God has me here uh, to minister in in Hebronville and and so forth. Uh, I I call every, you know, my whole family, Hebronville, where's that? It's the center of the universe, okay? You just got to know that. It's like everything happens in real, right? And I love it here. I love that, that, uh, that home, like small hometown culture, I guess. You probably go to stripes and everybody knows you. <laughs> but I love that, right, compared to the big city in San Antonio and so forth. But God bless you I just wanted to share those words with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Brother Al. Can we give him an applause for sharing? Thank you, thank you. And, you know, and that's an example of active faith that it doesn't matter what we're going through. We can always have evidence of the Holy Spirit by having the peace right there with us. So thank you so much, Brother Al, for sharing with you. So I hope you guys received a word. So, kids, you are now dismissed. You can go to your respective classrooms. Youth, you guys are dismissed as well. Um, If this is your first time visiting, our nursery is open right here in the foyer for zero to three-year-olds. Jam Club is right next door from four to six-year-olds. Super Kids is heading outside with Miss Miriam, 7 to 11, and Youth will be with Miss Betty. So at this time, let's go ahead and open up our hearts and get ready to receive the word and experience life in a new way, the faith way.
2: Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Al, for sharing that. Um, God is good, amen. There you go, sir. I know... You know, when, when, you, when you're called to preach, you get this anxious thing. I know H's feelings, I always do it. And all the preliminaries, you're like, oh, no, I don't want... So I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to take very little time on this. But I want to do this on the front end because once I give it to HH, um, you know, he'll just hand it over to me to close it. And I want to talk to you just for a few minutes. Um, that way he's free to, to do what he needs to do. And not... So we're going to pick up the offering at this point. Don't go to your pocketbook or wallet yet. I want to talk to you about, first of all, a couple of things. First of all, Cuba. I, I had a conversation with, with Pastor, you know, we are very focused on Ukraine. We already began to send money. It was, I'm not going to give you the details on what it took to get one account set up. But I, I ended up, you know, one transfer got canceled. I mean, it's, everything's upside down over there. But we finally got it, and we're just waiting for um, from Luda to confirm. You can put a picture up there of RJ so you, so you guys know what I'm talking about. Luda is in Poland, and she's part of um, Pastor Andre's church in Kiev Pastor Andre posted a picture yesterday in his church. He's standing with one of his um, church guys holding an AK-47 as they're praying for him, and he's having church services in Kiev as we speak. Well, not as we speak, because he's eight hours ahead, but I'm saying he did not leave Kiev. They did not cancel church. That's the kind of Christians we're dealing with, you know. And, and again, kind of trying to not focus, because I, I want each to speak, and I want to put it at the front end, but guys, you know, watch the news enough to keep informed. Don't watch the news enough to get depressed. But, um... You know, Luda. She's she's been. We've known her for many, many years. H knows her. Diana knows her. Um, of course, Monica knows her many, real well. Great translator. And she had to go to Poland, and she's there. So, what, where the money that we're sending, Luda, she's directing it right now. There's a biggest refugee crisis the world has seen. Over two million people have gone into Poland. Poland. You know, you imagine if two million people came to Texas within two weeks. What would that be? <laughs> imagine that. That would be unreal, right? So Poland's dealing with that. So the money that that you guys are helping us for Ukraine, we're we're trying to support two streams. One of them is is the women and the children in Poland, which Luda is completely connected to. And the other one is in in western Ukraine, with with our good friend Dimas and Aksan and Tolik. All those people have been in this church. Andre has been in this church. These are people we know. know, These are not just you know, oh everybody's talking about Ukraine. We've been in Ukraine since 2004. And we love these people, love this nation, and it's totally heartbreaking. and i'm telling you i've been fighting a, like I i don't know if it's a spiritual depression on ukraine because it just it's like breaks my heart every time I tell you. you know just because i know I, you know i see this city it's like ah, i walk there and it's all destroyed you know it's crazy but um so anyhow that's luda pray for her but um you, you can take it off RJ. i want to i want to focus a little bit on on cuba right now and i want to speak to our online audience i i, I prayed about it as as alan everything else I, I really don't address you guys all, but i do want to address you this morning especially those who are watching me online because when we talk about offerings and giving we want you guys to be part of this. You know, if you're joining us online and you're getting the word, well, join us online on everything, because this church does a lot with very little. And you know, we encourage our online audience. Don't don't limit. Well, you only got five bucks. Give the five bucks. You know, every penny makes a difference. You know, um, we God has called us to some of these things, and I don't know how else to tell our online church get involved. You know, if you're part of the church, you should. You know, the the PayPal. You know, the, not PayPal. The the push pay account. You know. Text to give, all that is set up, and you know there's drop down menus. You know I think you know this is time for people to wake up to what's going on. I want to just give you a couple of scriptures because, um, again, this is not the time to preach You know, I guess I'm trying to do this quick, but what's going on in Cuba? I talked to Pastor Joel, and again, God takes care of him in a supernatural way. But it's really, you know, you know we can focus all on on um, Ukraine, and we should we should focus. But Cuba is going through a tremendous crisis as we speak, also. So. Many pastors have left. One of the biggest churches, uh, organization, the, the, the main guy, he's already moving to States. He said, you know how many churches have closed? I mean, people are, you know, the island's going to end up empty. <laughs> you know, they're just really crazy. People are selling everything, trying to get out, out of there. But he's staying, and he told me of some of the things that, that, that I'm going to read the list, because here's where we're at. We only got two Sundays left. We got, I mean, actually one Sunday that I will address you. So anything that's going to happen has to happen by next Sunday as far as what we can take. But, I, but let, me, let me set it up with what the, the, the word says. I really like the Passion Translation. If you want to go to it, fine. I'm going to go just quickly. It says 2 Corinthians 9, 6, 8 says. Remember this. Now, 2 Corinthians 9 is in context with 2 Corinthians 8. And 2 Corinthians 9, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of preachers, we use this to try to pick up an offering or, or basis. And it's good. It's Bible truth. It's spiritual truth. But this was written in a desperate plea to help needy people. That's where that was written. (laughs) This was Paul telling the Corinthians, you guys need to get with the program. Our our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are going through tremendous crisis. That is exactly historically what's happened in that letter. He says, I'm on my way. I don't want to spend too much time talking about this. When I get there, have the offering ready. Because even the poor churches of, of Macedonia... The very poor churches gave themselves to this because our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are in a lot of need. What happens if I change our brothers and sisters in Cuba? What happens if I say our brothers and sisters in Ukraine? These are family. You might not know them, but I do. And I want you to, I want to tell you some of the needs. I don't know how we can get these. And if you have a connection, let me know. I'm going to check with my daughter. You know, she works with a doctor in Laredo. This is, this is the situation. Okay. You all ready for this? Let's say you're scheduled Marcos for a surgery right now in Cuba. You got to bring your own surgical gloves. You got to bring your own what do you call that? H the sewing string, whatever. technical term, Sutures. You got to bring your own god. You got to bring your own medicine. You got to bring your own antibiotics. You got to bring your own everything. And then maybe the doctor will operate you because he has nothing to operate with. So in his order again, I, this is completely like say Greek to me. H you'll you'll be able to translate it way better. Uh, And this is in Spanish, but he needs, um, well, here, this is the suture in in Cuban. It's, maybe you can translate it in English. That's the the gauges of the strings of the, do you want to, like, say that in English? Because I don't know how to. Well, I mean, the thing
3: is, the numbers that follow are the, the numbers that follow this, you would actually have to come, like, get it, uh, take a picture of it. But the numbers that follow are, like, the size uh, but basically, AsuPro, that's a, a, a name brand. But then nylons, uh, nylon sutures, polyester sutures, um, uh, silk sutures, catgut, that's really what it is. <laughs> um, okay, Branula, you got me that one. I think it's like catheter. catheter. Oh, okay. Um, uh, gloves and. Um, gowns the surgical gowns i think that's what you oh, call like them the, in english yeah,
2: like surgical
3: stuff so. yeah i mean like okay so basically you better bring your own er if you're going to the er
2: so again i don't know if anybody on other things that we're taking to cuba in a couple of weeks can can get any of this stuff but if you can we need it um this is the first time they've ever asked for this so it's really strange and he's telling me he says pastor box it's, it's really bad he said god takes care of us and this this I'm, i want to end with a joy note because it is I don't know, how, you know, this is, you want to see God's working hand. I, I wish we could just pack you all in an airplane and take you out of Cuba because Yoel's church, amid of this crisis that we're telling you about where there's hard to find food, you can't find medical supplies, you can't find Tylenol, you can't find anything, they're feeding 200 people every Sunday. Every Sunday the whole church gets fed. And that might be like the best meal of a lot of those church people. You see, 2 Corinthians says, remember... It starts with a remembrance. It says, whoever sows sparingly will also read sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also read generously." But pay attention to this. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. And listen to this. I like this. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, let me back that up with two Proverbs scriptures, and then I'll be done. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. Well, so well, I don't live in, you know, your neighbor is whoever is next to you at any given point of your life. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but look at the context of Proverbs fourteen twenty one. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. So the neighbor in that context is is the person that's lowly compared to you. You know, America's going through a tremendous crisis. and you and, and I were talking about our inflation, and and yes, we're hurting guys, and it's you know, well, I didn't vote for him, that's all I'm gonna say. But um, at the end of the day, we're not in Cuba, we're not in Ukraine. And as bad as you think your life is right now, the best thing you can do is sow a big seed. And I mean big seed that means significant to you. That's what I mean by big. Not big and put a bunch of zeros behind it. I'm trying to say, what is significant to you? Because that's what the Corinthians says is, you should give what you have decided in your heart. I mean, I don't know how to plead to you, how to plead to my online church to say, I'm not trying to, I don't need your money. If I was doing this for the money, do you agree with this statement, HH? I would have been gone like the next week after we started this church, this is not. And if you feel like, oh, why should we give money to our church?" That's your business. That's between you and God. I could care less what you think. I love you. Hope you get it. But this is the way God prospers people. He doesn't prosper people. Give a hundred, I'll give you five wishes. That's nonsense. That's witchcraft. He prospers people when God's heart is in your heart, and God's heart is looking at the poor and the needy. That we are there are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And as bad as your week you thought you had, and as bad as you think your life is. You have no idea what those people in Ukraine are dealing with. You have no idea what the people in Cuba are dealing with. You have no I don't have a context. Even when I go to Cuba, I don't have a context. Because I go to a hotel. I get food. I wake up in the morning, there's a buffet for tourists. I don't live in that. Now, I get it probably more than... And I say this very humbly, but I probably get it more than anybody in the church. Because I've been there so many times. You know, and traveled that nation. I've been up and down Cuba, I've I've been all over Ukraine. You know, I've been up north, south, east, west, trains, boats, you name it. And that's no joke. We've been on boats in Cuba to get from one island to another, all kinds of crazy stuff. I know that place. And I still don't get it. And I just say that, pray about this church. We got two weeks left. You know, we're trying to do what we can in Ukraine. We got, you know, we got about, not a lot of money, but we got about five or six hundred allocated for Ukraine that still has to get sent. And, you know, and then, Cuba, but Cuba's right on top of us. We got like two weeks to pack this stuff. And again, the financial support—any money we can take is going to stay there. You know, this is this is the reality. So the last one is Proverbs thirteen, fourteen, thirty-one. Same chapter says, "Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker." Wow. He said, "Well, I'm not oppressing the poor man, but he who is generous to the needy honors him." So the way you honor God's creation is by if you see need. This morning again i'm done you look at your heart and you pray about anything that's why i said when i was going to pick up with the offering at the front and i said i don't want you to go okay i got to write a check you got to listen to this because at the end you know even if you don't you might not even want to do an offering right now you might you might wait till the end of the service listen to the lord you know we're going to listen to what h is going to tell us i'm really excited about this i really am but at the end of the day throughout your week listen to the lord he might wake you up in the middle of the night about this on a tuesday Well, that's the beauty of online giving, right? It doesn't matter where he wakes you up. The only thing I want you to do is just be, I'm not asking you to give a penny. I'm just asking you to be obedient. Make sure that it's not delayed obedience. Because delayed obedience is still disobedience. I've been there. God had, you know, I'm not going to go through all these stories, but I've had a couple of those where the Lord told me to bless somebody and I kept waiting on it and waiting on it. And yeah, I'll get to it and I'll get to it. And the Lord finally, you know, actually he did wake me up in the middle of the night. He said, you know, he needed that money two weeks ago. That was what I heard. And boy, you talk about 8 a.m. taking care of something. But that's the kind of stuff, when God drops something in your heart, guess what? There's a timestamp, And we are timestamped on this. So again, this is not about this morning's offering. This is about what God will speak to you from now on because we're not letting go of Ukraine. I was supposed to be there in June. Obviously, that's not happening. But we're not letting go of Cuba. This is, going to, this is part of who Faithway is. Amen? So again, thank you. Thank you guys for your generosity. I want to do this because again... I need to take this time for you to feel what's going on, get the sense of what we are dealing with. Amen. So said that, give a big round of applause to my friend, my brother. Right hand, left hand around here. HH got us a
3: They should have gotten out of order. They, you can't no, move them exactly around. We why? Well, why didn't you tell me I have, them all, have all the different uh, I different yeah. options? Yeah. All right. Okay. All right, you're going to have to turn me down a little bit. I might get to screaming and then, well, what's going to happen? All right, so uh, did you get the, uh, the slides yeah. up? Yeah, they're good. Don't so we'll see them. All right. Well, I'll, while they get that ready, I'll uh, I'll tell you a little bit about um, I'll give you an introduction. The introduction is going to go like this: um, if you look into if you look into end times in the Bible, if you start to study this out, one of the things that you're going to find out is that um, that God is not clear on this on purpose. And in fact, we'll read some scriptures today talking about how. God talks about sealing up the vision and sealing up, and he says that uh, that it 's hidden in a mystery that uh, so that the foolish will not understand and the wise will understand and that sounds good but here 's the problem when when god is not when God is not one hundred percent clear about something i can 't be one hundred percent clear about it with you and so what i 'm going to tell you is this i 'm going to make essentially i 'm going to make an argument today uh, because this is you know, and I'm going to give you all my, all my uh, details, all my, uh, all my evidence, all the stuff that I uh, came up with to, to show you that I believe what I'm showing you is correct, because I you know, certainly don't want to lie to you. But at the end of the day, if you 100% disagree with what I tell you today, we're still friends. You know, if you believe something different, I'm with you. I don't know what's going on here. Might have to. I, oh. How about that? It's going to be upside down. Hold on. Let's do it this way. Oh. Okay. I just talk loud. That's how I handle this usually. Okay. Is that better? All right. Hey, there we go. Okay. So what I'm telling you is, you know, bottom line, you disagree with Jesus, that's bad. You disagree with me, that's fine. We're still friends. So all that to say that, that what I'm going to talk about uh, with you today is, is going to be my understanding of how this thing works. Um, but like I said, don't, um, uh, if you believe something different, don't leave the church. Uh, I'm going to tell you why I believe what I believe. But like I said, the Bible is straightforward about how uh, he doesn't want people uh, he doesn't want people um, sitting there like waiting to be rescued. I mean, that I can tell you for sure. The, the Bible is pretty clear about that. He wants us to be doing his work until he comes. He doesn't want us, you know, uh, you know hiding in the back cupboard waiting to get evacuated, you know, by the last transport out of, uh, out of earth. Okay, so because of that, um, like I said, what I can tell you is we're still supposed to get up every morning, have faith, believe uh, God, help our neighbor. All those things that we have to do, we do every day. All right, so the title of my message today is The House Rules. So, you know what house rules are, right? Like, your house rules may not be the same as my house rules. Have you ever been to somebody's house that they make you take off your shoes and put them by the door and then you walk through there? We've we've had to deal with that. Pastor reminded me we we dealt with that in Ukraine. You know, they're like, what are you doing in here with your your shoes? You know, and those are just the house rules. That's, That's how we do it at that time. And the reason why this is important. is because we teach you all the time that God is no respecter of persons, and He's not. Okay, but He does deal with people differently at different times, and that. So today is a you're going to get a college course because that's exactly how I lined it up. Uh, we're going to do a, we're going to do a deep dive into this into this subject, and we're you know because you have to be able to see what's happening because if you don't if you don't see the big picture, you won't understand. Because Jesus is talking about multiple things at multiple times, and he's talking to different people at different times. I mean, he's good at that because he's God, but by the same token, we need to understand, is he talking to, so everything that that he says is true, but it's not necessarily for us. You know, it's like that that joke, I'll I'll loosen you up because you look a little stiff this morning. You know, like the the you know people that do the Bible roulette, like they want to hear from God so bad they flip the Bible open, stick their finger in there, and that's the one God wants for them? Well, don't laugh, I've done it anyway. So, so you know, um, the story of the guy who who did that, you know, and and sticks his finger in the Bible, and it says, and Judas went and hung himself, and he's like, <gasps> doesn't like that. That's another one. Now go and do likewise. Uh, you know, so, don't do that. All right, so. Let's understand, uh, or at least this is my understanding of how God deals with people over the span of ever, you know, from beginning of creation till the the end of of time. um, That's what we're going to be talking about first to get a picture of the timeline. And then once we understand the timeline, you can understand who he's talking to and what, and is he talking to me that way? Or is he talking to the Jews or is he talking to unsaved people? And we have to be clear on that, otherwise we get things all mixed up in our head. I'll give you a good example before we get started. Um, you know, when uh, Jesus was walking around with his disciples and a lady asked him, she said, you know, uh, Master, I'm, I'm sick. And he tells her, you know, I wasn't sent, I, wasn't, I was sent to the children of Israel, not to their dogs. That is not something that, you know, that's not one of the ones we preach in church a lot. And that's rough. And and she says, Well, but Lord, even the even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And he smiled at her and he gave her what she asked for. How do we make sense of things like that? How do we make sense of the fact, well, why didn't Adam just repent? Could have saved us a lot of trouble. (laughs) So Let's, let's go into that and you'll see, I'm going to try to make some sense of these things in the Bible that we kind of don't major on because they don't, they don't really make sense. Let, let's start with that. Go ahead. Oh, let's sing now. I'm just kidding. All right, there we go. So uh, I want you to take some notes because uh, Matthew 21, Luke 19, they're the same events. Okay? There's actually even, there's, there's another version of this in Mark. Uh, these are all related This is talking about Jesus' last week. Okay, so Jesus goes up to the week that he's crucified, or I should say the week before he's crucified, he goes to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and a lot of important things happened during that week. This week, we call it, uh, in in Christian circles, we call this Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. Uh, But this was when Jesus came to town to Jerusalem to get ready to to, uh, observe the Passover, and then ended up, with the crucifixion okay so when he walks in uh, if you remember uh, like i said it, it you if you, you probably have the picture in your head but it comes from all of these sources together that's why i'm not pulling the actual scriptures up but you probably remember where he comes in and they find a donkey and he sits on the donkey and he comes into town and people are throwing palm leaves at his feet and they're and they're saying blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest and if you understand a lot of the symbolism there those palm leaves that's how the romans used to welcome their their generals after war you see back up a little bit and what's happened just before that is the resurrection of lazarus I believe that got around lazarus got around after people had seen him dead for a, almost a week you know so people are there is this there's this excitement in jerusalem that jesus is about to come and Save everyone. And that's, if you, again, dig into what Hosanna means, it means, Lord, save us now. Okay? So they're thinking that this is a political revolution, and here comes the Messiah, and he's going to kill everybody, and we're going to drive out the Romans, and, and they're thinking, as it turns out, incorrectly. Two important things happen there that we're going to dig into today. One is, Jesus weeps over the city. So they welcome him as a conquering hero, and the next thing that happens is Jesus walks in, looks around, and starts to cry. That's odd. Second thing is that while he's he's sitting there weeping over Jerusalem, he says that he's crying because the things that belong unto your peace, but right now they're hidden from your eyes. What's he talking about there? Okay? So this is... This is the, you know, th- these are parts of the things that, that, that I'm talking about. So he, he goes into the city. He's received this way. He has this private moment, just kind of him and God, you know, with what's about to happen. And uh, next slide, please. And then if, if you go on a little further in both Gospels, what you'll see is it's right after this point, right after he brings those things up that he starts talking about the temple being destroyed and what's going to happen to Jerusalem. And the disciples start asking him, when will these things be? And again, you find that recorded in all the scriptures that, that, that in the last week, they started talking, to, they started asking him, you know, Jesus, what, what are you talking about? Because they're expecting victory and he's telling them about destruction. So they're confused. And that's when Jesus gives them the signs of the times. Now, to understand, we're going to come back to that next week. But in order to understand what he's telling them, or you know, in other words, the framework of what he's telling them, you have to understand that when he begins talking, he's talking to two groups of people at two different times. And that's why it gets confusing, and that's why we have to start here first. Next slide, please. All right, so to understand the way God is going to deal with you know, what, what Jesus is talking about, about this destruction, we have to understand the prophecy that people refer to as the 70 weeks of Daniel. Okay, a little background here. About 400 years after David, um, the Jews were being disobedient. They were not, they were not uh, doing what God asked them to do. And what ended up happening was that, you know, God warned them several times with the prophets. I mean, I'm condensing half a, half a millennium of history but basically, uh, God told them to do stuff, and they didn't do it. So at least we can identify with that. Now, unlike them, they didn't have repentance. What happened to the Jews were they, were take, they, they lost their promise. They were taken out of the promised land. And as part of that, um, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, came in and took over Jerusalem and hauled everybody off. And the way it worked back in, back in those times... If one country would invade another, they would take hostages. Now they treated them really well because they were royal blood, and 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 you know they um, you know so Daniel was probably related in some way to King David and that kind of thing. But see, here's the point: the point is, if your son is over there in the enemy king's house, you're probably not going to act up, even if they're treating him nice, because you know that the the day that you you raise an army, the day that you you know, act like you don't want to be, you know, you know that that some very important family members are stuck over in the enemy king's house and he could have them picked up and killed in five minutes. Okay, so this is just how they, this is how they maintain the peace. So Daniel was treated relatively well, but he was still a hostage in an enemy king's palace. So even though he was essentially went to Babylon at the age of about fourteen to sixteen people say, and he lived there till he was an old man, and in fact, probably died in in Babylon um, lived through four different kings uh, and two different kingdoms, uh, but he had a reputation as as uh, as a wise man he 's actually not considered a prophet, believe it or not, by the jews he 's just considered a really wise man because the things and their distinction is that prophets said things to the people. Daniel was given visions and told them, and, and was told to keep it, keep it quiet. And, and because of that, Jewish tradition says that he saw things more clearly than the prophets because it wasn't for publication. Now, so Daniel was seeking God and repenting on behalf of his people. See, he's, right now he understands that he's, that, that, that his people are are removed from the land they're removed from their inheritance because of their disobedience and so even though you know god's taking care of him here in this enemy land he is praying on behalf of his people and he's like god you know we repent we're sorry i know that we didn't do the right thing you know and he's just i mean it says that he's uh supplicating god he's like really passionate asking you know god shorten this do something bring bring the people back to the land and what happens is God sends the Archangel Gabriel to reveal to him a vision, and that is where this comes from daniel nine twenty four through twenty seven i 'm going to read it uh, kind of quickly, but one thing I want to tell you in advance is the word "week in our American head that means seven days but understand that in in uh, in uh, uh, hebrew the the thought is not really about Uh, seven days. It's about seven of anything. So they use the word week like we use the word dozen or like we use the word decade. Okay, it stands for a number seven of anything. So when he says 70 weeks, he's talking about 77s. Okay, and as it turns out, what he's talking about is 70 groups of seven years. So 490 years total. This is a very long vision that he's uh, talking about. Now, I'm going to get my stuff here. But again, we're in Daniel 9, verse 24, if you want to go there. Second while I pull it up. All right, so I'll wait, um, but uh, like I said, I, uh, I will go ahead and read it. So 70 weeks, so 77s, are determined upon your people and upon your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, quick question. Has all that happened? Is there no more sin? Is there no more iniquity? Is there, you know, uh, is Jesus already ruled? Well, is the Messiah already ruling the world? These things have not, have not fully happened. But he says 490 years are determined before this happens. He says, and then he goes to kind of explain a little bit. and He says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem... Unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks. Okay, this is going to take some math. So he says, what he's talking about is, okay, so from the time that, we're gonna, that, that the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem, because remember, they were invaded, everything was torn down. So he says, from the time that we, uh, that we have the command to rebuild Jerusalem, there'll be seven weeks, and then three score and uh, three score and two is a fancy way of saying sixty-two. So seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. Alright? Let's see if anybody's paying attention. How many is that all together? Come on, Joey. Where'd my math class? It's sixty-nine, right? So sixty-nine weeks, we got one week left. All right? So yeah, the, the next slide was a visual that kind of laid that out, so we'll get there in a second. But Okay, so again, from the time of the going forward to build the temple, there was going to be seven sevens, 49 years, okay? As it turns out, that, that chunk right there, that's how long it took them to rebuild the temple, was 49 years. That's historically known, okay? Then the next 62 years... Is a total of four hundred and eighty three years you don't need to remember that okay but what's interesting about that four hundred and eighty three years is all together from the from the time, so in other words, the Bible lays this out by a day. He says from the going forth of the commandment to build a temple there's going to be seven times uh, next slide, please we'll go back, well, one more there we go okay um, so if you look at that. You'll see kind of, well, I'm going to get over here. Oh, wait a minute. You have a laser, right? We'll go high tech. It's got to work. All right, or not. Meh. Okay. I have a finger. So, um... So look, so this is what he's saying. Seven weeks, again, I know this is confusing because you think of a week as seven days and that's hard to get over. Okay, but what he's saying is seven sevens, right? So 49 years for Jerusalem to be rebuilt and then 62 more weeks or 62 more sevens, that's 434. And so all the way up into this point right here, he said after a total of, after a total of 69 weeks, the Messiah would be revealed. Okay, that's the main thing I want you to understand. It's a, it's broken out for different reasons, but that's what I want you to understand. Um, back up, please. Um, all right, it took seven weeks for forty nine years to rebuild Jerusalem, but both of those dates, the date that uh, that uh, the Commandment to rebuild the temple went forth. That date, the day. Okay, so to the day is given in Nehemiah two one. Okay, um, I didn't have it, but uh, you can go look it up. It literally says, "In the fourth day of the month of whatever, in the in the reign of King uh, King Darius." You know, I went to talk to the king. It literally that date is listed in the Bible. All right the date that the temple was finished being constructed is written in the Bible. That is in Ezra chapters 9 and 10. Okay? So these are, I mean, this is not a prophecy like we're used to getting. I mean, he literally said, uh, uh, 483 years after this commandment, the date is written down in the Old Testament. He says, 483 years from that date, the Messiah is coming. Any guesses? If we look at the Hebrew calendar, the Hebrew calendar is 360 days. It's not 365 like we have now. They had 360 days. If you count 483 times... So 483 years times 360 days every year, you go all the way from the date listed by name in the book of Nehemiah, and that date is the week before Passover in 33 AD. Jesus walked into Jerusalem on the day that David had recorded. To the day. That's been well established. The a book called the, uh, the Coming Prince by Sir Robert Anderson, uh, a British lawyer about 100 years ago, uh, used uh, the records of finding out when King Darius lived and, and they have the Hebrew calendar. Everything He had all the tools, so he just counted out how many days he needed. And lo and behold, it was the week before Passover. So now you understand. I mean, somebody told, somebody told Daniel, 483 years to the day after this date that's recorded in the scriptures, you're going to find out who Messiah is and when they walk, when when Jesus walked into Jerusalem he wept because they did not understand that was the day of their visitation now do you see i mean if Jesus told me i mean it's so crazy that 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 we you know we sit around and we wonder as christians when is Jesus coming you know he literally told them to the day like we don't get that information but they were literally told to the day and nobody was looking, except one lady. If you remember back when, when Jesus was brought to the temple uh, to uh, to be presented to the Lord, you know, uh, the, the Jewish tradition, um, there was a blind woman there who was sitting there waiting for Messiah. But she's the only one the Bible records was actually looking. So, So, like I said, that really is... So when we talk about exact, I mean... You can say anything you want. I mean, the Jews believe this prophecy and they don't even believe... I mean, in other words, it's written right there. They will tell you 100% this is the the Jewish Bible. Now, they probably won't tell you that, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. Um, But this is literally written exactly. It's one of the few things that we have set down in stone to the day. Now... Uh, Let's back up one more time. Uh, Okay. So let's go that, now that you kind of see that bigger picture, pick it up at 25. It says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So 69 of those 70 weeks will have passed. The street shall be be built again and the wall even in troubled times. And after those 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Now, do you see how that applies to Jesus? Jesus was crucified, but not for something he did. So he was cut off, but not for himself. And he says, and the people of the prince that shall come. Okay, now we start seeing the vision change. Now we're going deeper. So Jesus is now, the Messiah has been cut off. But there's another prince that's going to replace him. And he says, the prince that shall come, or did I go where we are? And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end shall be with a flood until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now, remember, there's 69 weeks have passed. There's one week left. All right. It says, and he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week for that last seven years. And in the midst of that week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation, the, the, the services in the, in the Jewish temple will stop. And it says, for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. I'm going to kind of give you a, uh, there's a lot in there, but what he's talking about is that there's going to come a time in the future where someone comes in, makes a covenant of peace, and saying, no, 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 the, the Jews are going to be able to live and do what they do normally and he's going to sign a peace treaty that apparently is seven years long but right smack in the middle of it he stops everything that's going on in the temple and he says we don't need to do this anymore because i'm god now that's not that's not actually listed here but when they talk about the abominations that cause desolation that's what they're talking about is someone else going into god's temple and setting himself up as god all right and that shall happen until the desolation is poured out, or rather, until what was determined should be poured out on the desolate, okay? So basically, that, that seven weeks, so take a step back, I know we're, we're dealing with a lot of stuff right now, but take a step back and now look what happens. So he says, there's 70 weeks, and at the end of these 70 weeks, I'm going to wrap everything up. There's going to be no more sin, there's going to be no more iniquity, that righteousness is going to be revealed, we won't need prophecy and, and visions anymore, we're going we're gonna to we're gonna, we're gonna shut this thing down. Okay? But then he says after almost all, after 69 weeks of years, 483 years, Messiah is going to show up, but then he's going to be cut off. And that 70th week, that one week that still hasn't happened yet, still has to happen. Seven years still have to pass on God's Jewish clock, if I can say it that way in order to, to, do, to fulfill what he said to Daniel. So we see in this scripture right here, we see stuff that has already happened all the way up to you know, the, the rebuilding of the temple, that happened. You know the, the revealing of Jesus as the Messiah happened. But then you know, judgment and, uh, and this person claiming to be God in this last seven days, rather this last seven years, this last week hasn't happened yet. And so that's the beginning of understanding why, why there's, like, different timelines going on. Hey, okay, does that make sense? So, so he's talking about something, but part of it has happened, and part of it hasn't happened. And he really just kind of skipped over Jesus, the crucifixion, his resurrection. Everything that we know of is not mentioned there. It just says the Messiah was revealed, but then he was cut off, but not for himself. And he goes on to what happens that last Seven years. All right? So, what I'm going to propose to you is that what happened is that on Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, the way God was dealing with the world stopped. And grace came into the world. Okay? Grace came into the world. People like you and me, people that are not Jewish, are able to accept Jesus as Messiah and become and, and get saved. But then at a certain point, that window is going to close. And when that window closes, we're going to go back to the way the world used to be, which was there are only two groups of people: the nations, which is what the Bible calls people who don't believe in God. And uh, his people, the Jews. You know, so there's like. Israel and the nations, and that's it. Right now, we have three groups. We have Israel, the nations, and us, the church. Okay? So something, something's going on right now that is interrupting that 70 weeks. Make sense? Okay, that's, that, that's why I've been talking for 20 minutes now, is to, is to get you to see that, that there's an interruption, there's a big parenthesis in the middle of this 70 weeks, and that's us. That's the church because he could not tell them you see the only reason why we got to get saved is because the messiah was offered to to the church i mean rather to the jews and they rejected him and i could take you back to those scriptures that talk about how you know when a, a rich man invited all his friends to a party and nobody showed up so he's like all right if they're not going to show up let's get everybody off the street and we'll get them in here all right that's us Alright? His people were invited. They were like, no, no, no thanks. We're good. You know? Give us Barabbas, the son of the father. I won't even get into that. That's that's a joke. But, okay, so when, when uh, so what happens is that the people the Messiah came to save didn't want him, so he saved all the rest of us as well. Alright? But he couldn't tell that. He, that had to be hidden from the Jews. Because it couldn't be I mean, it couldn't, be, their choice would not be free will if they knew that God had a plan B. Does that make sense? And that's the reason for the second thing that Jesus said. When he said that they were, he wept because they didn't recognize the day of their visitation and because they did not, the things that were, that were set aside for their peace, for their reconciliation with God, were hidden. So in other words, everything, everything that, 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 uh, that, well, actually I've got it right there. Uh, Paul explains what Jesus meant in Romans 11. So I'm going to go there real quick. It's not, not on there so you don't need to change. But um, let me read you some of that because now it, it, it kind of begins to explain why this, uh, why this period of grace was kind of hidden from the Jewish people. all right and 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 you you still hear some of these things today saying um saying that um that god has rejected the jews and that it's just the church right now and and there's been cases of of uh uh you know people persecuting the jews for the last two thousand years um and it's really really dumb because uh you know when god makes a promise he keeps it whether or not they keep it is their own business So understand that God's got two deals going right now. He's got to deal with the church, and he's got to deal with the Jews. And while I know that it's God's will for them to to be offered to come into the church, I mean, I would still preach to a Jewish person just the same way. But um, under no circumstances should you think that the church replaced the Jews. You know, we'll read the... Because Paul goes into this a lot in Romans 11. Um, he says, so I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid, for I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away the, his people, which he foreknew. Now, I'm going to skip down because he's talking a lot about, about um, you know, the bad things that Israel has done to kind of, you know, disqualify them but he says even so at this present time there is a remnant according to grace and by, if it's by grace then it's not by works it says so what Israel has not obtained that which he sought for but the election has obtained it so what he's saying is they were looking for the messiah to come but they they didn't they didn't get him the way they expected and it says in other words, they were expecting overthrow by, by war, and instead they got overthrow by grace. They weren't expecting that. And he says, and the rest were blinded. He says, as, as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that should not see and ears should not hear unto this day. And so what he's saying is, I'm not going to read all through there, but it's, it's worth a read if, you, if that's an issue for you, like how God treats the Jews and Christians sort of differently. And he says, you know, don't, don't, um, don't act all big just because God is now making you that offer. The offer that they rejected, he's making it to you. But don't, don't puff yourself up. You know, don't think you're all it. He says, because if God was, was um, in other words, he's saying it's by grace anyway. And if God, was, uh, if God was willing to prune the branches of his chosen people to let you in, what makes you think that he won't graft them in also? Okay, so it's all there. You can read it. And so you understand that what's happening now is that for for Jesus to be able to, to talk about what's going to happen in the future, he really is talking about two different groups of people, two different, two different times. And he can't be more clear than that because to be much more clear than that is to give away the fact that it was his plan that the Gentiles be saved as well, that, that the non-Jews be able to come to Messiah as well. All right? So, um, well, I'm going to leave it there because I think that, that makes sense. Go ahead and next. All right. So now that you see the timeline, I'm going to explain to you kind of how this, how this comes out. Okay, everything I've told you, I've, I've kind of backed up with scripture. This is the part, like I said, this is a little bit different. Why did I call this the house rules? Because the technical term is dispensationalism, and nobody would have come to hear talk about dispensationalism. Um, the word that so when people talk about this, like in theology school, that's the word they'll use. The common word that people will use is the one you find in the Bible, which is called economy. But it's what's funny is it doesn't mean economy like we talk about it like just money. Uh, the word economy comes from oikos, which means house, and nomos, which means law. And really what it means is the laws of the house. You know, what are, the, what are the house rules? And he says, so the idea is that God shows that he deals with different people in different ways at different times. Okay? So when a certain period of time is happening, when a certain uh, epoch sometimes, or an age, you'll see it sometimes in the Bible, God is dealing with people in a certain way but he deals with everybody in that group the same way. Okay? So he's still not a respecter of persons. It's not unfair. He doesn't play favorites. Um, but what happens is God sets up a different way of doing things. And, he, you know, it's very clear when you have an eye to see it. And that we're going to step through it right now. God sets up very clear rules. And he goes from dispensation to dispensation. Or one set of rules to a different set of rules. With a judgment that's very clear. Okay? So that's what I'm going to show you. This, like I said, this is, now this is not just me. It's not like I invented all this stuff. But what I'm telling you is, when I say this is my opinion, this is my opinion. Okay? The scriptures I'm going to give you are real, but the interpretation I'm going to put, like I said, some people disagree with it. You can if you want to. If it helps you, use it. If not, spit it out. Next. All right. So, number one dispensation of innocence. So how did God deal with Adam and Eve? So at the beginning of creation, God gave mankind two things to do, and it took them about five minutes to mess it up. It's alright, we're all in the same boat. Okay, so I'm not going to go through all that, although I love to tell this story over and over, but what I'm going to tell you instead is that um, real quick, what happened? God told them, you know, take care of the garden, don't eat from there, and the next thing that happens is here comes a certain serpent trying to convince a man that God's holding out on him. And what happens is, you know, somewhere in there, they convince, they're they convinced that God is is holding out on them. You know, oh, didn't he say that that he didn't want you to do that because then you'd be like him? Well, God created them to be just like him. Image and likeness, as I recall. So, I mean, basically, he's lying about God, but somehow this gets something going in them so all all God told Adam and Eve to do was just do these two things. That's it. No laws, no rules, no, no nothing. And they still managed to mess it up. And what happens is, you know, I'm going to point this out. This is a bonus. Um, so why did they cover themselves with leaves? So many young people, I'm sorry, have like, oh, it's because they were naked. God was not shocked by naked people. That's kind of how he made them. You know, Dogs run around naked all the time unless you're weird and buy them clothes. You know, so, so you know, this whole idea that, that oh, my God, it's, you know, it, it's, it's people that, you know, it, this has nothing to do with sex, guys, like literally zero. What happened was they were living, you know, living normal humans, but they were sinless. God had the ability to be in and on them. God never, I mean, it was the way he designed them to be and god's glory came out of these people because they were perfect they were with they were connected to god as soon as they did what he told them not to do they were disconnected all of a sudden you know the glory of god disappears and now they're naked just like the animals it's not that they were it's not that god saw their naughty bits it's that, come on, so so rude. Okay, so it's not, it's not that he saw stuff. It's that now their glory was gone. And now they just look like every other living thing. And so the first thing they do is they try to cover up. The first thing they do is try to figure out how to get with the work of their hands what God had already given them Free and they lost it. This is the very first act of religion. You lost what God gave you, so now so now you... Uh, let me put on some filthy rags. I won't go there. All right. So what happens is, this is, you know, so they lose their glory. they disconnected from God. That's the judgment. This is over. They're not innocent anymore. So not only does God... Tell them, look, I understand where you're going with this. You want to cover over, you know, this consequence, this result of your sin that is now obvious to me. I mean, he's looking at their spiritually dead, yet still living bodies. And he he teaches them something. And he says, look, you sinned. The only way to cover that, you can cover it with the skin of another animal. And what he does is he kills an animal and uses that to cover them. And what is he teaching them? He's teaching them that when you sin, you can't, ju- you can't just come and cover it up. That sin's got to be paid for. And some animal that didn't do anything had to give his life so that your sin could be covered up. The consequences of what you did can be covered up. And in doing this, he's preaching to them the gospel. Okay. Okay. So God judges this dispensation by separating himself from mankind. God is not God was with them; they were perfect. they chose a different path god couldn 't stay there. so God had to leave, and they became spiritually dead so the the end of this dispensation of innocence ends with okay so they can't they can 't relate to God anymore the way they used to that 's over so judgment has fallen all right He also as a bonus taught them. The price of sin and the price of reconciliation. Blood for blood. All right? That was the first dispensation. Second. Next. Was the dispensation of conscience. Okay? So now, nobody had sinned, nobody had done anything, that's over. What's, what, what does he do now? How does God deal with people now? He says, okay, well, you know, let, let, them, let them interact with me based on what they think is right. Okay? On, on their conscience. We know a lot of people like this. They don't need to come to church. As you know, God knows how to talk to me. That's already failed. Don't tell him. All right. So, Cain and Abel. So, mankind is managing their relationship with God according to their own conscience. They're trying to do what's right. What they think is right. And very quickly, they learn something called self-rationalization. Anytime you start a sentence, well, you don't know what they did. Yeah, you've already, that's where, that's the neighborhood you're in. You know, all things considered, you know, oh, you know, you need to come to church. Why? I'm not Hitler. Well, Hitler's not your, not your standard. Those are all rationalizations. Well, all things considered, I'm not that bad. I mean, I, you know, I could have done this, but I'm only doing that. That's all, that's this. All right. So what happens? So Cain and Abel bring their sacrifice. They bring what they think is good. I'm going to throw another thing here. Why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? Okay, I've seen a lot of people like, well, it's because God needed meat. Sorry, no, God wasn't from Texas. No, it's that God was doing keto. I'm just kidding. So what happens, the reason why, it's, it's there, guys, it's there. Go read it. It's a good book. Abel, yes, Abel brought, he brought, he, what he, he was raising animals. But it doesn't say he brought some animals. He said he brought his firstlings. He brought the first ones. And then he brought some fat extra, you know, which that is, that speaks of abundance. You're giving the best of what you have. And it was actually very, very important back in the day when you look at cultures that don't have food that becomes super important. And so to give that up, to give that to God is just like so Abel gave God the best of what he had and Cain gave him some stuff. I mean it's pretty clear. You go read it that's what happened. And so then like Cain's all stomping around you know like a two year old and God says you know Cain why are you making such a face? He says "If if you do good you know I'll forgive you. We'll be fine. And so instead of doing that, he goes off and kills his brother. Because he did what he thought was right. God didn't like it. He got offended. And he had to go give him some judgment. That's what happens when when people are left to their own conscience. In other words, conscience is a good thing. But an unchecked conscience leads here. You go fast forward a couple of years, we get to Genesis 6-5, it says, and God saw the wickedness. Now, you've heard in this church before that wicked means twisted. Okay? So, the twistedness of man was very great in the earth, and that every imagination of, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Okay? So, what happens when you leave people up to their conscience all the time with nothing else? What happens is ultimately they begin to rationalize everything they do you know and then you get you know then you get concubines for jesus and you know potheads for jesus and strange things like that you know and what begins to happen i mean this is for free but eventually over time people begin to make god in their own image you know and that's what happens is that is that you know you're committing a sin you don't like people telling you it's wrong so then you invent a God that likes that I'm going to stop there okay so God ended that dispensation with a flood so God was like okay so so you can't you, you can't just you can't just stay good I mean I start you off good you can't stay that way how about how about you just do what you think is right nope that doesn't work either this one ends in in, in a flood and 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 people are judged next slide please so after this is what we call the dispensation of civil government. And what happens here is man begins to grow and multiply. And they begin to have leaders to themselves. And you know what? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe they need someone of good character to lead them. Some man who's, who's a good guy to tell them what to do. Maybe that's the problem. And that's where we get Nimrod. Now, God had commanded mankind to multiply, to you know, replenish the earth, not to find a nice place next door and start a kingdom. I mean, that's literally what you see happening. God told them, you know, go. You know, you're out of, you're out of Eden, you know, go. And so what happens is they literally move like right next door and plant roots after he's told them to go. And not only that, I mean, not only not only disobedient that way, but then they get a good idea. Let's get together and we'll get a tower and we'll build it up to where God is, for what to say hi no this is direct rebellion folks if we get if we all get together there's no way he's gonna he's gonna you know come against us and so they begin to build it mean, in their minds anyway i don't think they were ever going to get there but in their minds this is what they're planning let's build a tower let's get together god can't god can't overrule us if we're all together you know And what happens is that God judges that as well. He says, I mean, and you can read it in the scripture where he says, you know, if we don't don't confuse their languages, if we don't scatter them, you know, they're always going to stay together. They're always going to try to find some way to come against us, to come against God. And so God judges that, scatters the people. So no more clumps of people trying to pretend they're better than God. All right, next slide, please. All right, so then we're there until a man named Abraham. God is looking around for someone, and God finds Abram, a moon worshiper, and basically made some promises to him, promised to give him an heir, to give him a nation, protection, the blessing, land. All Abram had to do was believe, and we know from the Bible that that belief was accounted to him for righteousness, and it was. But there was a certain point where the promises of God. Now, keep in mind, God made promises, and and he's seeing all of these things come to pass. So God shows up. God makes him promises. He does what God says, and he starts getting results right away. And then all of a sudden, he comes up against something that God promised him that he can't believe. The fact that he was going to have a son when he was 90-plus years old. And so you know the story. He decides to help God out a little bit, you know. In case you don't know what I'm talking about, instead of sleeping with his wife, he went in and slept with the, the serving lady, and she gets pregnant, and a whole lot of other stuff happens from there. And God doesn't talk to Abraham for about 10 years. So even, so get me now, when, when God made a promise to Abraham, he kept it. But Abram couldn't always keep his promise back to God. So even this, while it was great, ultimately doesn't work. Because even though God makes you really good promises, I mean, come on, I feel lonely. God makes you a really good promise. You believe it. You get it. Somehow that the next time, the next thing doesn't seem that easy to believe. All right? And that's, that's when it breaks down. Okay? So... What happens is, when we have these promises from God, even that, just by itself, just having his promise, isn't enough. We find a way that, that, that we end up failing. We end up not believing what he said. God ended that dispensation by giving the law. So in other words, remember, there was no laws during, during Abraham's time. And even Jesus, Jesus even talks about that, but we won't go into that. Let's look at the next one. Um, The fifth one was dispensation of law. Now, this is Moses. So, Moses, you know, so you're going to say, well, okay, well, it's not really fair. We didn't know. We didn't know we weren't supposed to do that, God. You know? You know? The, um, um, you can make the argument, or at least people can make the argument, well, it's not really, it's not really fair, you know? Nobody really told me I wasn't supposed to have more than one wife. You know, you can make those stories. So, How does God deal with that? God says, okay, you want to know how, when I say good, what I mean? This is what I mean. And he gives them the laws. And the people are all excited. It's there in Exodus 19.8. It says, all the people answered together. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do it. They honestly believe that. Now, Paul says that all that did was cause sin to increase because as soon as you tell somebody, don't do that, all of a sudden. any Any parents in the house? Okay, so... So what happens with that dispensation of law? That is the dispensation that Jesus was born under. That is the dispensation. They were under the law. And he said, I didn't come, away to, I didn't come to do away with the law. He's talking about that. That is how the Jews were living in the time that he was born, uh, was they were living under this, under this dispensation. You had the priest that oversaw the law, and how do you do the law? And this is how, this is how everything works, and this is how you do that. That was the system he was born under. That system will be judged in the way that Daniel, that he revealed to Daniel. You remember, he says, 70 weeks are decreed to put an end to, or to to finish up your people and your city. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about his way of doing things. That is, that is what's going to be judged at the end. I mean, he says so right there. That's going to be an end of sin. That's going to be an end of Iniquity, it's going to be the start of righteousness. All of those things have to do with judgments under the law. Do you see that? Okay? So so that is the dispensation that the Jews currently live under. All right? Next slide. Now, here's us. Dispensation of grace. And this, of course, is Jesus. In order for the Messiah to be available to non-Jews, the Jews would have to reject him by their own free will. It It couldn't be something... It couldn't be a trick, you know. They had to see him. They had to really believe that this was somebody that came from God and say, you know what, no thanks. We'd really rather have our own way of doing things. We're good, all right? In order to do that, like I said, that's the whole point of Romans 11, is that, that this part, the, the offering of Messiah to the non-Jewish people, had to be hidden from the Jews until after the deal was over, Okay? So it says, God will have to finish his business with the church first before he can go back to dealing with the world under the dispensation of the law. Okay? That also settles the timing of Jesus' return. For me, anyway. Like I said, this is where I know people disagree. But see, here's the thing. What we're going to talk about next week is going to be a little more of the stuff you were probably expecting today. uh, Where we talk about, you know, Jesus having... uh, uh, well, or to say something like, you know, the different punishments that will be handed out and the different things that will happen and um, and the kind of things that that we hear. You know, some people say, well, you know, we're going to have to go through the, through the tribulation. Other people say, oh, we don't have to go through the tribulation. Well, it turns out that what he's talking about, or at least what I believe he's talking about, is if the dispensation of grace begins with the resurrection of Jesus, and now we are accepted into his family, he's made us certain promises that he can't keep under the dispensation of law. Okay? So when he talks about, and we'll, we'll read that next time around, uh, when he talks about that uh, the Holy Spirit's going to be removed from the earth, well, how, does, how can he do that if he promised me that he would never leave me or forsake me. How are we going to leave, how are we going to get to experience what happens when God no longer, you know, puts brakes on the evil that's in the world? He can't do that. We're the, we're the salt and the light of the earth. The only way that happens is if we're not here. So, according to me, again, if you don't believe this, we're still friends, but, um, But the reason why this makes sense to me is because the Jews had to see the the picture without Jesus involved, without what the Messiah was going to do with with the non-Jews involved. And that's why when he tells it to Daniel, it comes out like one story. This is how this happens. But in the middle of that is hidden, for our benefit, the fact that Jesus could accept us into his family. And then the promises that he made to us, the church, is different than the promises he makes to the jews and so what happens then is we're going to look at again in my opinion what we're looking at is that uh some of the promises we'll talk about next time when jesus comes to collect us we will be so when he removes the holy spirit from the earth guess who's going with it or with him i should say you know because all these things that are happening on the earth are going back to the dispensation of law the the, the punishments that God, if you look at the book of Revelation, it sounds like the book of, of you know, something from the Old Testament. It's because it is. What's happening on the earth is the dispensation of law. Things just like you read it in the Old Testament. People touch the Ark of the Covenant and they drop dead. You know, we touch the hand of God and we, we're made alive. I mean, it's two different sets of things that are happening now. And so what we're going to see next time is that God is going to be dealing with the earth according to the dispensation of law that we just saw, where it's like, you know, you do something bad, punishment comes instantly and it's harsh. Versus now, where he's able, there, there's a window of grace. And that period will end. I believe it will end with the catching of the way of the church, which some people call the, the rapture, which is a terrible translation. But anyway, that's what most people call it. But basically, we get to go be with Jesus. Stuff happens with us that he promised to us and not other people. While stuff is still happening on the earth, again, if you want to tribulate, knock yourself out. Um, I'll, I'll see you on the, on the first boat. Um, and so what happens is, how does the dispensation of grace end? Well, the dispensation of grace ends, and it actually doesn't end with the catching away of the church. It actually ends later on in, in heaven with the Bema judgment. Now, you got to be careful because Christians will be judged, and you hear that. But if you look, there's two words that are used. One is the Bema judgment, which a Bema, if you, if you know the, 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 the Greek term, that's like the, 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 in Greek, you know, when you watch the Olympics, which are Greek, by the way, um, if you watch the Olympics, and you see at the end, they put them on that little platform where it's like three, two, and one, that's a Bema what it's called. So when he talks about the beam of judgment, what he's talking about is judgment for the things that you've done. Now you're like, but God doesn't judge me for the things that... No, God doesn't judge your salvation on the things that you do. But he very clearly says that he recognizes that the stuff we do on this earth is going to be recognized by him. That's why he talks about your crown. Or he talks about, you know, how, how you'll have your reward in heaven. He's not kidding. Okay? But it's not whether you get into heaven or not. You know, it's, it has to do with um, what did you do with the time that he left you while you were saved? You know, when you had the power of God Almighty in your hands and in your mouth, what did you do with it? All right. I won't even go into that. So God will end that, the dispensation of grace, with the beam of judgment. But that's not a salvation. We're already in heaven. That part's already done. We won't get judged. He already told us that. Okay? But if you go back, don't go back, slight people. But if you go back in your minds to the dispensation of law, that ends with judgment. Okay? Next slide, please. All right, so then after this, Jesus returns. So Jesus catches away the church. Stuff happens in heaven with the church that is not happening on earth. earth is left to their own devices. God is having a private party in the back. And then after that's over, after those seven years are over... Jesus comes back with his church, and that starts this dispensation, which is the millennium. So I don't want to go into this because this is going to be a, this this is a longer, a longer thing, and I'm just going to kind of throw it out there, and you can ask me later if we don't hit it next week. Okay, but at the end of Armageddon, that's not the end of the world. Okay, that's just a really big battle, and it actually doesn't even get that far underway because, you know, when Jesus sets his foot down, stuff tends to stop okay? So Jesus is going to come down, stop the, the war that's happening. So there's going to be two groups of people, okay? There's going to be people that were alive and living on the earth, the people who did not go in the, in the you know, in the catching away of the church. They're just regular people. They, they were going to, like, shoot their neighbor five minutes ago, okay, when Jesus puts a stop to everything. So there's regular people on the earth. And then there's the redeemed people, which hopefully is us. I mean, I'll be there. I don't We'll see how many of you guys make it. Wow, one laugh. Okay, tougher. Alright, so, so that's what's going to happen, right? Is we have that we have that um, that distinction. We have uh and, and so honestly, again, my opinion, but when God talks about us ruling and reigning, that's the time. Because there are gonna be a lot after a thousand years, there's gonna be a lot of people on the earth. And What's happening during this time is Jesus is ruling physically in Jerusalem. The Bible says so. And he's going to need people to be like governors and mayors and whatever the equivalent is. But, you know, taking care of God's stuff here on the earth, I think that's where you come in. Again, just my opinion. Okay? But um, let's just say, you know, if if during the millennium all you get to watch is a cat, maybe you, you didn't do that well. You know, if you're the governor of Texas, you might be awesome. Anyway, um, but what happens is all of that that time is passing. Jesus is physically ruling and reigning on the earth, and there are still regular people walking around doing what they do. Well, after that time, you know, Satan's going to be released from where he's bound right now, and he's going to gather up all the people that really just don't want Jesus ruling. Which is, yeah, it's kind of a wow moment, right? You know, like, like you, can't even, you can't even blame the pastor, right? Like, this rule comes directly from Jesus. He handed me the note himself, and you can't even deal with that. Okay? They're going to be like, you know what? Let's all get together, and we'll, we'll get rid of this Jesus guy and set up our own stuff. You would think that it would sound really stupid, but they're going to do it. God ends that dispensation... With, uh, trust me, there's no fight. The Bible doesn't talk about any fight after that happens. He gathers an army, but really all he's doing, he's just doing the, the separation work. You know, They're going to all get together, and once they're in their, you know, having their first uh, organizational meeting, that's the end of that. It says God puts the, the dispense, ends the dispensation with what's called the great white throne judgment, and that's what Christians get mixed up sometimes. Christians will not participate in that. But after this is over, we enter eternity with God in a new heaven and a new earth. And so shall we be with him forever. Amen. But that is the last, that's the last one. So, um, next slide. So why do we have different rules? Why, Why did I go through this whole explanation? Because, again, I believe that God deals with people in different ways at different times. And the reason why he does that is to demonstrate both his justice and his mercy. Because you know how we are. You know, seriously, Jesus asked the question himself, if there's any other way, can we do it that way? This answers that question, no. We leave them up to their, you know, we leave them innocent. They have no sin in them. They still make bad choices. We leave them up to their own devices. They don't make good judgments. You know, we, we, it's just they don't have good people to rule over them. No, nope, that's not it. Oh, it's you know what it is? It's that they don't really know what it is actually that you want, no, that 's not going to work. you know well, no, maybe if this, maybe if you just make it real clear what you're going to give them, and no punishment's involved, nope, they can 't do that either. Understand that of all of these different ways that God deals with people, only one of them works, and that 's the dispensation of grace, the ability for us to freely choose God, to freely choose God, not because we have to, not because there's punishment involved, but just because we can, and after that. We're still going to mess it up. But he's made a way through Jesus's sacrifice that we, so that even when I sin, I don't break the covenant because it wasn't with me. My covenant is between God and Jesus and neither side is going to break that covenant. So I just take the benefit of what Jesus did for me because I want to, not because I even have to. And so, like I said, why did God do it this way? One, I, like I said, I really believe to show people that there's, there really is no other way. There is no other way to stay in a connected relationship with God other than by the mechanism of salvation and grace. That's it. That's the only way this works. We're not good enough. We can't be good enough. You can't design an experiment complicated enough that allows us to have both free will and a permanent relationship with God outside of grace. So, next slide, please. Yeah, there is no next slide, really. No, no, well, it, it really, it was just the first slide without the title. Because I didn't want to end with like words on the screen, but that's fine, made um, to black. But, so no, what happens is, like I said, so again, everything I've told you, you know, I've, I've researched that out, I, you know, you have a now a window into the complication that is my brain. Um, This is what I actually believe, and I've given you all the evidence for why I believe that way. But it's like I said. What you believe about what I believe is fine. You know, what's really important is that you obviously believe Jesus. But I do think that that understanding that God is, when when Jesus starts talking about what's going to happen, he's talking to the Jews, he's talking to the church, he's talking about 2,000 years ago, he's talking about... Well, like next month or something, we'll see. We'll see how. Uh, we'll see what you what you think about that. Uh, Pastor and I were were texting back and forth today about how we already see three of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So, you know. Um, but uh, no, that's next week. I won't get into it. But that said, um, I want you to I want you to use this as a as a springboard to maybe understand some of those questions that you had in the Bible. You know, why is it? That sometimes Jesus tells his disciples, you know, go just to the children of Israel, don't tell anybody else. And then other times he says, go tell everybody else. You know, why it is that sometimes um, sometimes you can repent? Why is it that sometimes people in the Bible can't? How is it that people can, you know, in the Old Testament, speak God's word and then, you know, get saved through the flood and then go get drunk and fall asleep naked under the ark? That was Noah, by the way. You know, how is it that, how is it that all that happened? It's because... Again, I believe that, that God deals with people in different ways at different times. And, and because of that, I believe that the next thing that we're going to see is um, while we're going to talk about some things that happen on the earth, understand that regardless of how that plays out, you don't have to be involved. You know, And I'll tell you, even if I'm 100% completely wrong and we do have to go through the tribulation, I don't have to go through the tribulation. Because God will never separate himself from me. If I'm understanding this wrong and it's some way different, it's still the same. God's still going to take care of me. Why? Because he promised. And even though I mess it up, he doesn't. So, that said, I will turn it over, sir. I pitch it back.
2: Again, we're almost, you know, the clock says 11, so we still got an hour, so we're good. I don't believe in daylight savings time, so y'all, I'm still going to do my sermon, of course. Um, No, we're going to get you out of here real quick. So, first of all, you know, I was anxious to hand it over to H. We'll we'll give you some information on giving here in a couple minutes. We're not going to talk about it. I already did. But I do want you to do this. You know, when we talk about end times and we talk about these things, there's a lot of, you know, trust me, I've been hearing this one since I was a kid. You know, I grew up in. Basically, in church and a Christian school. And you, you know, you got all these versions. And I really like, you know, the foundation that H brings. And, you know, and I lean into that one. I'll be I completely agree with, you know, that lean. And there's a lot in there. But, you know, here's the thing that I want you to leave you with this. You know, you need to know this for one reason and one reason more than anything. Because we're living in a time that people have questions. And, um, by the way, something that Al said when he shared his testimony. You know, I was back there and I I was listening, and this is where you come into this whole thing. This is why this kind of teaching is very, very, very important. There's a world out there, your family members, your loved ones, co-workers, friends of yours. And it's not about going crazy weird and, you know, it's the end of the world, you know, standing in stripes of the earth sign. The end is coming, right? You know, not doing that. But as the world is evolving... And you've got to watch the situation in Ukraine. You know, obviously we're watching it from very humanitarian, our brothers, and, it, and it's painful. But if you watch it from the prophetic angle, and I don't want to step in where I think you're probably going to go next week, this thing is there in the Bible. <laughs> you know, the, the Russia's in the Bible. China's in the Bible. Um, the Persian, the, uh, Iran is in the Bible. All these things that you're watching on the news, they're here. They're there. So we get a front row seat... To the world events, what I'm saying with this don't don't this is not to oh my God just no 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 this is for, you got answers regardless of what your opinion is on the end times guess what if you believe Jesus Christ is your Savior, you will spend eternity in heaven, and if you haven't done that, this is the time to do it, because those people outside they're gonna you know they're gonna have questions about what do you think about Russia what do you think about Ukraine and that's why we're teaching you this because that'll be your opportunity to say look I don't know everything but I know one thing. I'm going to line up my life to what I believe. Not only I believe, I have seen it. In my household, raising my kids, my finances, my health, my mental health. Come on, somebody. You don't think the word helps your mental health? It helps a lot. We'd be completely, you know, neurotic if it wasn't for Jesus. And all that comes in to the last thing in the scripture that he referred to. I'll tell you which one it is. Right right when he finished. He said, and I'm going to give you a real loose paraphrase, but it says this. It says, God will not, I mean, this is a loose paraphrase, but it basically says this. God will not put through judgment or tribulation those that he loves. That is the key to what he said, right? To saying, if you go through tribulation, you still don't go through it. Because he will not let you go through it. You will be a light if that's the the option. But you know, I, I kind of believe, well, I believe with H's. I'm on the first load. Now, if y'all want to stay in tribulate, enjoy the ride according to your faith, let it be done unto you, right? So don't get in a, in a weird place with this. That's all I'm saying. You need to know the facts. Now, there's some guys, again, it's really hard to recommend a lot of people because there's so many points of views and some might not. But there's two people that I think, and I don't know if you agree with me on all of this, but... Um, Charles Caps, has passed away. He was, you know, he wrote some really good things. Um, and I had the name right there and I forgot it. And Hilton Sutton passed away. Those two names, Hilton Sutton and Charles Capps, if you want to get some reading, you know, whatever, buy a book on your own, Hilton Sutton, Charles Capps, to me are, you know, some of the, the better foundations. And actually, Hilton Sutton, he really goes into a lot of. I mean, when I read Hilton Sutton stuff, it took a lot of my Baptist foundations and just threw them out, like, way out there. Because it doesn't even talk about just one rapture. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of movement going on in time. So I don't want to get into all that. That's not, you know, I I am, you know, I could teach it if I had to, but that's not really what, you know, I'm called, you know, you guys know what I'm called to teach, you know. But we need this information. And this is vital, vital. Because now when you flip on the TV and you look at the news, you're like, oh, that's in here. That's why, I'm going to leave you with this. We don't have to have fear. Right? Go ahead and stand to your feet. Thank you guys for giving us a few extra minutes. And i I, I sorry I was in a, in a hurry to hand this off to HH for our online audience in Church House. You guys can put the information for online giving. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it. I just want you to know, pray this week. we got a couple weeks before we take off to Cuba. Um, again, you heard the the... the The, you know, if you guys have access to some of these medical supplies, I don't know where you even buy this stuff. I don't think you go to Walmart and buy cat, that string, you know. So I'm going to do my, try to figure out how we can get, I know, you know, through my daughter and maybe some of you are connected to the medical field or you know a doctor, you know, that's willing to donate some of this stuff. Reach out because I mean, this is like weird. I mean, think about, imagine if you had to go to the doctor and bring your whole box of, like H said, your whole ER with you. That is, isn't. I mean, we can't even get, Americans, we can't even get our head around that. That's the reality of Cuba. So do your part with stuff. Do your part with the resources, with finances. Again, you know, we're, we're never going to have enough money. I'll tell you that. You can just give us all the money you want. We'll all, you know, we're still believing that the farm we're going to build, stru- you know, we already got a structure there, but we're going to build more on the farm that you, you know, and Faith Exchange in New York joint effort we purchased. So the only thing I'm leaving you with is in the next, you know, 10 days, really pray about that. Just say, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I don't want you to be influenced by me or anybody picks up an offering. You need to, you need to listen to God. Because the, if you know, say, well, Pastor, I want to prosper. That's that, that's that scripture in Proverbs. Prosperity doesn't come by asking God, oh, give me, give me, give me. That prosperity comes by placing, your, you know, the, the little supplies that maybe you even have, but you still have enough to help somebody else. That's, that's like, the key to all this. You know, Proverbs says he who helps the poor will prosper. You know, that, you don't need an hour of preaching to understand that. So, again, you know, we're all going through different situations, you know, the fuel is kicking all of us, you know, where, because you know, we drive a lot living, you know, we don't live in a city so everything is, but again, as bad as you think it is, you are blessed. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, you're blessed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for HH and what he brought and just really brought a lot of good stuff that I'm and digesting still lord but i thank you lord that we are the church and that heaven is our home father and the reason we want to know all this thing is because there is a lot of people out there that are full of fear and confusion and they don't know what's up next and father we just you know managed to go through a pandemic and a lot of people didn't manage to go through it and now we have father the smell of world war three approaching and lord all we know is i thank you lord why don't you thank him that we have you through this time That we don't have to worry about that, and that what may come may come, but we know that eternity is our future. That we're already in eternity because we live in this place called now. We live in this place with you, Jesus. So we pray for Ukraine, we pray for our brothers and sisters. We pray, Father, for Andre, that I, Father, what a hero to me right now. To still hold services in a city that's being attacked and bombed. I bless him and his congregation. Come on, just y'all follow me in this prayer. We bless those people in Kiev. We bless uh, Pastor Dimas in Chernivtsi, Father. And Lord, the pastors that we ministered up in Sumi, and Sumi is now being destroyed. And the teams that we know, Father, we just ask for grace. We ask for wisdom. And we ask, Father, I'm, I'm praying, I ask for Putin to bow his knee like Nebuchadnezzar, to down on his knees. Putin, is his father, is incarnation of Satan. I don't know what he is, but he is not... He is he is somebody that's confused, evil and dark, and we bind that spirit in his life. And Father, I pray for Cuba and I pray for this upcoming trip and I pray for all the supplies and whatever we can take. If we can make the difference in one person's life, so be it. So Father, as we live this leave this church, we go with a lot of information. But Father, we also know we also leave with a lot of peace. And I call everyone here blessed in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Well that you are dismissed. God bless you guys. It's great to see you. Shake somebody's hand, hug their neck, show yourself friendly.